You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. This is episode 59 with your hosts, Brandon and Allison. And today in studio, in one of our studios, we have the fermented caped crusader and founder of Fermenters Club, Austin Durant. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Brandon and Allison. It's wonderful to be here. And yes, I know I called you out as the, the, the Cape Crusader, and that was in specific reference to a previous episode where we talked about you being on television and you're wearing a cape. Yes. Uh, we definitely want to get into some of that, but I guess even before we get to there, founder of Fermenters Club. What is Fermenters Club? Yes, that's a wonderful question. So Fermenters Club, the name came about just because I got together with some friends of mine. This was like early 2011 and said, hey, what if we all got together and each of us, you know, you made some sauerkraut, I made some sourdough, some hot sauce, ferment it, and then like come and come together and share it. And so it just, the, the name just made it sound something accessible. Like, hey, we're, we're a club of like four people like sharing fermented foods. And so that was the genesis of the name. And then it sort of evolved over time into, well, me learning a lot more about fermented foods. And then once I sort of got bitten by the bug, the, the original friends that I had assembled to do the, uh, the swaps, we basically were ferment, fermented food swaps. They kind of got a little fatigued about it, you know, because they weren't as nuts about it as I was. Let's just let's just be honest. Um, so I just I just started getting doing public appearances like uh, farmers markets and and venue nurseries and the plant kind, not not the baby <laughs> kind. But um, <laughs> and I just I discovered that I really love, you know, sharing the knowledge that I that I'm learning, you know, with people. So anyway, that sort of was the genesis of Fermenters Club. So what we are is I, I say we're sort of a global local movement. So you know, obviously we have a lot of content that's accessible to anybody around the world. And we do have a lot of fans um, from mostly English speaking countries like UK, Australia, Canada. But I'm always amazed looking at my my stats online, people from all, all over the place, all over the world. So that's sort of the global part. And then the local part is uh, we're, we're based here in, in Southern California. So I try to sort of connect with the local food scene, you know, farmers and, um, and, you know, people who otherwise are involved in food and really just promote this sort of seasonality uh, and localness of food in general, because I think that's part of the what I'm passionate about. And it goes right along with, with fermented food. So that's kind of the, in a nutshell, what the club is. So Southern California is the main focus. Uh, well, simply because it's, it's, well, it's, it's, the club is mainly me, but I, I definitely have recruited some, uh, some enthusiasts, some, some friends who help out. So yes, most of the events have been in California and Southern California, but you know, I get around, I, uh, I grew up in Florida. So every year I go back for the holidays and I, I found a wonderful organic farm there. So usually around Christmas time, I'll, I'll do a, a, an event there and I've got some exciting news about uh, a road trip that's coming up next week. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So you guys may know a gal named uh, Tara from Fermentation on Wheels. I think she was on your show a little bit ago. Um, she has a basically a mobile fermentation slash art project where she converted an old school bus and she's driving around the country, um, really kind of like the Johnny Appleseed of uh, or Janie Appleseed, if you will, of uh, fermented foods. And so I, I caught wind of her when she was just getting started uh, up in Oregon and so I, I caught her when she passed through uh, San Diego, which is where, I, where we are. And uh, we really obviously just really hit it off. And, you know, we, we share a lot of the same visions of what fermented food, you know, the revival of fermented food is all about. So anyway, um, I've been keeping in touch with her. And uh, next week she'll be uh, rolling through Asheville, North Carolina, Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, Nashville, Tennessee. So those are sort of the next three places. And I'm going to basically... 
uh, fly in and literally get on the bus with her. And we're going to we're going to do potlucks and workshops in each of those towns. And uh, I just can't wait. It's just such a beautiful part of the country, you know. Is that yeah, and, well, and especially during the springtime? I mean, yeah. that's a great time to be going to the mm-hmm. south with all the flowers blooming and everyone's really excited because they're starting their gardens. And exactly, you can just really jumpstart a lot of future fermenters that way, right? right. Did you have specific uh choice based on the locales you were going, or was it timing, or um, uh, is there a reason why you chose those areas? Yeah, I, I fell in love with, with Asheville and that uh area. Um, Smoky Mountain Range area. Uh, I used to, well, I kind of still do it sporadically. Um, some of my buddies and I will go on like a, a, a vacation retreat, like a guy trip, and we go mountain biking up in the mountains there. And so we we got to discover Asheville and Bryson City, which is a little town way in the in the uh, southwest corner of North Carolina. And you know, right anyway, so beautiful country. And uh, when I when I when I Tara was here, I said, hey, when are you going to be in North Carolina? Because I want an excuse to go back there. And so we figured out it's going to be next week. Um, so she's just finishing up sort of the eastern part of uh, North Carolina. So by the time I meet up with her next week, uh, she'll be in Asheville. And uh, yeah, then the, then the fun begins. And then, be and then you'll be on the bus. Traveling. Then I'll be on the bus traveling with her. Um, uh, we're going to be going west. Um, through, so Asheville and then over to Knoxville. And then over to Nashville. And then I'll basically come get on a plane and come back home from Nashville. That's awesome. So will there be uh, things on the Fermenters Club website or on Fermentation on Wheels uh, stating which kind of workshops you'll be doing? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you know, we, we promote via, you know, word of mouth, you know, flyers. But of course, also it's on both FermentersClub.com. Uh, uh, all of the events are posted there. They're also posted on Fermentation on Wheels and they're all on uh, Facebook as well. So on both of our pages as well. So if you can find your way to either one of our pages, you can, if you're in the area, um, we want to see you. We want to see our our enthusiastic people in in that part of the country. And uh, all the events are are free. Um, If you're already an avid fermenter, um, bring a, bring a culture with you and, uh, and maybe something you already made and we'll swap and just, it's just it's just a good vibe to to kind of be in that environment and and Tara's really really um, good about finding the the areas and the people in those town in wherever she goes that um, are really like, also connected to the local food scene so it's just it's just just great people um, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I noticed here too that you also have um, an event coming up. It's in San Diego, but um, it's the end of April, so basically right when you come back from your trip out east. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that too? Sure, sure. So there's a wonderful uh, organic farm here in, in right near the border uh, with Mexico uh, called Susie's Farm. It's all organic. Um, and I've just been partnering with them for, well, for a long time. In fact, if you saw um, uh, the, the PBS show in which I was donning a cape, that was that, that episode was actually about Susie's Farm. So it, just illustrative of the of the collaboration that we do. But um, so last year, they, you know, it's strawberry season in, in San Diego. Um, so uh, they invited me to come out, and last year we made some strawberry wine, um, which turned out to be surprisingly awesome. Like, uh, in fact, the gal, one of the gals at the wine local wine shop that helped us uh, uh, make it, was like, "You guys need to enter this into the county fair." And I was like, "Whoa, that's that's a pretty high, you know, high honor." So I think we're going to do that. And uh, anyway, so that was strawberry wine, but we also did um, pickled green strawberries. So basically you take unripe strawberries and you kind of treat them more like a pickle, add some, you know, brine them and add some spices and then 
uh, in a couple of days, they're sort of like these, it's pickle. It's, um, so that's what we did. So we're, we're going to be doing that again this year. I don't know about the wine yet, but we're definitely going to be doing, um, uh, pickled strawberries and possibly strawberry kombucha because kombucha strawberry is such an amazing you know, kombucha yeah. flavor. Oh, yeah. And the strawberries in Southern, at least in California are amazing. And this is the peak season for strawberries. So mm-hmm. I hope I can make it. It's on my calendar. Good. Yeah. I mean, and I think the, the details are still TBD, but I think we're going to be doing, I'm going to be doing two workshops, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and they're going to be uh, do it yourself. So you come by, I just kind of walk you through how to, you know, it's really basically like slicing strawberries, putting them in a jar with salt water. I mean, it's not that complicated, but you know, again, um, most of my workshops have a a, a DIY do it yourself component because I think that really helps hit the point home. You know, Mm -hmm. we try to hit, hit, um, people who come to the workshops on all, all the senses as we can, you know, we always have stuff to sample and they get to hear me talk. They get to see me, um, make something and then they can do it themselves. So, um, uh, yeah. So anyway, so that's, that's what the Susie's event's going to be about. Do most of the people who attend your workshops, have they, do they have a pretty general idea of what fermentation is or is it, do you get kind of get a range of different, um, knowledge bases in fermentation? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I like to think that I market towards people who are firm curious, if I can make up that word, like fermentation curious, um, but who may, but that, but that's, but that's one segment because I think the mission of the club is to reach as many people as possible and really just remind all, you know, every culture, because let's face it, just about every culture on the planet, you know, has some form of of fermentation. So it's just, it's a revival. It's not, it's not new knowledge necessarily, but um, so we can, I want to reach as many people as, as possible. Um, so I think we get people who are like, Oh, I heard about this. And, but then we also have people who are like, Hey, am I, I you want to trade some kefir grains or like what's going on? You know, what flavors are you doing with kombucha? So we have a whole gamut of people who are enthusiastic, you know, varying levels of, of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's great because, uh, we did a workshop, uh, last weekend and there were people just kind of like, you know, talking with each other about stuff. And I'm like, that's exactly part of what I want to do is re- literally create a, a community where people can like carry on. And, um, yeah, it's just really, really rewarding stuff. But, um, so yeah, there's people from all ends of the spectrum. And, uh, yeah, I think I have an affinity for people who don't yet get it because like, they're the ones that like, I want to, you know, sort of convert, you know, right. not that I don't love the people who are already enthusiastic because, you know, they're the ones that are helping make the movement move forward, you know? Yeah. What would you say, makes someone go from beginner to uh to fully converting to going say not even just like the person that starts doing maybe one or two things but you know like there there's you there's there's tara i mean we talk about this every week i mean what do you think it is that like uh tips some people over the edge to really geek out on this and make all kinds of different ferments whereas like say those friends you started with with the swaps like they kind of got burnt out or or didn't do it as often like what what do you think is that keeps some people in it and not others have you noticed that over the years hmm uh that's a wonderful question that's very thought-provoking um i suspect that i think it has to do with one's love of food in general i think that is a prerequisite to being this kind of geeky about something you know like fermentation oops um but uh huh well i mean i can relate i guess i can relate my personal experience i mean it was uh, the light bulb that sort of got me into this was I, I was doing some research i was uh 
again, like curious about organic, like I had heard about this whole like local food movement. I wanted to learn more. And, um, when I, you know, when I read this article, it was actually from the, the Weston Price Foundation, um, their website, Weston Price Foundation. I don't know if, if you guys know, but it's, a uh, it's a nonprofit that promotes kind of traditional ways of eating and food. Um, and one of the tenets is fermented foods. So anyway, so I got bitten by the bug because, well, really, it's the taste, I would say, of the food is I think we have a natural affinity for that type of sour. I, I really do think that it's built in somewhere. I mean, again, I'm not a scientist, but that's my gut feeling, if I may use air quotes around that. Sorry, <laughs> couldn't help. Couldn't help it. <laughs> um, um, but uh, yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought a little bit. What were we talking about? Oh, you were talking about the article about local yes yes so it was about it was about like ginger beer and like which you know i like ginger beer but i don't make it every day and it was about how um these types of living foods they don't really scale beyond the community and i was like oh okay well that's so they're really good for you and they don't really scale so that and then that's sort of the storm cloud formed over my head around fermenters club but uh it just it just makes so much sense like in my workshops i sort of give six sort of quick quick reasons why you should ferment you know it's healthy it's easy it's delicious it's fun it's green and it's old timey you know and uh you know we can break each one of those down um uh but the just the multi it's just a multi-dimensional kind of thing like you Mm -hmm. know there's the fact that um it's really good for us and we're learning the the brain gut connection and all that stuff like we're just at the forefront of that you know i mean we're at the beginning learning of that um and we know that fermented foods are good for us in that way and they help keep us healthy and they help keep our immune systems up and they can, you know, even cure diseases is, you know, uh, like, you know, even things like ADHD and, you know, well, well I shouldn't say fermented foods specifically. Again, I don't want to talk out of turn, but a healthy gut can help you get over things like that are behavioral, you know, like nobody would really think about that necessarily that right um there's know, been that, a lot of a lot of research and a lot of talks recently done about that specifically right. how having a very healthy gut full of great healthy probiotic bacteria through fermented foods it could be sa- sauerkraut versus yogurt um how there is a link between um that and brain health and i think a few weeks ago there was even an article that i read about alzheimer's and gut mm-hmm. health and everything like that so it's wow. it's really really cool how it's gone mainstream now it is it's, it's such an exciting time to kind of have what i say modern science catching up with traditional wisdom like we knew that this stuff was good for us and it was always it's always been a part of our diets um until recently right and so thus thus the passion to to bring this back into the dietary sort of lexicon, if that's, if that's a, uh, a concept. Um, so yeah. So, so I guess personally that's, well, and then again, then there's like this, like the culture, the cultural layer, which again is that word itself is, is multifaceted, right? You have the culture of the actual bacteria. You've got the culture of whatever the food, you know, Germany for sauerkraut, Asia for, you know, Japan for miso, whatever, like, um, and then you've got, um, the link back to our, you know, our real ancestors, which is the single cell organisms that keep us healthy today. So it's for me, that's how I, that's how I kind of personally geek out. It's like, it was so, it made so much sense kind of all at once that it was just, it was not even a choice. Of course it was a choice, but it wasn't even like uh, a hesitation to like do this, that I wanted to go and tell the rest of the world about, um, you know, fermented foods. The microbes made you do it. They did. They did. They conspired (laughs) and like, 
Yeah, what was it like in Ratatouille? You see the the guys like the rats oh, holding yeah, the guy by the they're... hair, and like <laughs> kind of like that. Awesome. Well then, uh, maybe maybe be good to elaborate a little bit more because I, I, I after we talked about your cape, uh, your caped incident on television, and it seemed like the episode didn't quite elaborate on why you were wearing a cape. Could you maybe <laughs> fill us in on that one? Yes, that's that's a very very uh, good good point. We did like a wrap party for the uh, for the series that is a PBS series, and uh, the first thing the producer came up to me and said was like. Ah, Austin, I tried to get the cape in there. It just, it just did not work in editing, like the explanation. So um, here is the explanation. Uh, so these were middle school kids that we were doing, um, uh, as you probably saw if you watched the episode, uh, uh, just teaching them about fermented foods. And I, and I wanted to hit the point home that we are uh, – human beings are actually super organisms, meaning we have about – was it like 10 trillion of our own human human cells – and we have about nine or 10 times that microbial cells that are in and around us. I mean, so we are essentially these clouds of microbes that sort of are sort of shaped like human beings, you know. And so I love that term superorganism. So I wanted to hit the point home with the kids. So I, I put on the cape and uh, I've gotten a lot of requests to wear the cape at, at, a, at a future events. So I think I'm going to make that part of the uh, I'll stitch the logo on the back, you know, get rid of the, the S, you know, the Superman logo. But um, so that that was it didn't make that into the into the show. But. We are superorganisms, you know, and so and one of the largest populations is well, I think the largest population is our gut, you know, mm-hmm. the one that uh, that I'm passionate about. Have you been getting these requests for uh, other uh, kids programs or for adults as well? Um, it, not not so much kids programs, although that, that yes. would be like a vector I would absolutely love because you know, again, it, it's it's really it's great to see everybody kind of like react to if they've never had a, a good, you know, bite of sauerkraut or a homemade miso, you know, or something like that. But I think kids especially are more open. They're just more open in general, more curious. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so yeah, I think, you know, I would love to get into schools or, you know, other, um, programs where I get to get in front of kids and teach them because they're, they're just sponges of knowledge. You know, they just, you know, and they're, and most of them, the ones that are around the age that you'd want to teach them are like growing fast too. So like you, you want to physically help them like grow right. and like be healthy. So, um, but yeah, I would say the, it's just whenever I, I'm out in a public appearance, people are like, what, you know, where's the cape, you know, like <laughs> starting to get people to ask. So comes synonymous. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I have to come up with a secret identity and it's just like, Oh, who wants to do it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're going to have like, to have a light in the sky <laughs> right. when you know, there's trouble. (laughs) That's just going to be really hard. (laughs) Um, No kids. I think, I I mean, I think Brandon and I have discussed this um, and brought it up a few times, but kids are a great way to get involved in the kitchen and especially learn science. I mean, they don't even realize that it's science when you're fermenting foods or even baking things in your, in your Mm, home kitchen. So it's a great way. um, I think that they're, is such a potential to, I mean, people talk about having more scientists and how we're, we don't have a lot of scientists and they're kind of coming from other countries Mm. to the United States. And there's not a huge, there's a huge push for people to be scientists, but sometimes it can be kind of dry and boring, but food is a great way to get people and kids involved in, in, in that and get them excited because it's It's like multi-sensory. Everybody mm -hmm. eats, you know, and no, I, I agree. And it, oh. it's not even you don't even realize that you're learning something. So it's you learn so many different skills through through just making food at home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I did get to do. Um, it was a couple years ago. Uh, 
a high school biology teacher of one of the charter schools here asked me to kind of help kick off a, uh, a, a project that the kids were doing. These were 11th graders. And it was just so inspiring to see these kids. I mean, they kind of broke the, it's like a class of maybe like 30 and they broke them into teams. And one team would do like, you know, the, you know, they'd look at stuff under microscopes. Another team would be the artists and the, they'd be, they made, they made a cookbook. Uh, another team was sort of the documentarians of the whole thing. It was just so, and the kids just like, Oh, it's, yeah, it's really inspiring. And they did, they turned out some really cool, um, projects and like, I mean, I haven't really caught up with them since then, but I would hope that they now, you know, they have pickles at home now where they have yogurt or, or, you know, that, that it's, you know, it's, it's out there. The knowledge mm-hmm. is, is continuing on and, you know, maybe they even taught their parents who knows, you know, it's like, but anyway, so yeah. It's exciting. Kids it's, are awesome it's, to yeah. It's a really cool way them. to teach, teach a group of people. Mm-hmm. Kids are always excited about everything. <laughs> right. Right. Something else that you've been doing exciting, at least I've seen for the last uh, two, uh, tw- 2013 and 2014, the, the MISO unveiling that you do live. Oh online. yes. Great so, segue, Brandon. <laughs> oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, do you, do you have like, uh, what was the, was 2013 the first you, you did this and, uh, tell us more about this workshop. Yeah. So, um, I mean, MISO paste itself is like, it's like a food of the gods. Like there, there's, I, don't, I mean, you guys, I'm sure you've had, have you had like a good homemade miso? Um, yeah, I've had it a few years ago, but I mean, I had a friend make it and. I mean, there's, there's, but... there's just nothing like it. I mean, it's just, there's so much complexity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I fell in love with it. Actually, I, I, I first tasted it when I went to, um, a workshop in Tennessee, uh, by Sandra Katz. Like he holds these, uh, semi-annual kind of workshops and I got to hang out with them for like five days. And anyway, so that's where I got the taste the first taste of like real miso. And I was like, Oh, so he actually gave the students a, um, you know, a little jar of it to take home. And that actually became, um, the seed starter for the, the two generations that I've made since then. So, uh, one of the ingredients in when you make miso is to take some mature miso and, you know, like back slopping is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I just, you know, and it's, a, and it's a long, the, the, the version that I make is called, it's called red miso. Um, and that's because, um, as it, as it ferments for about a year or longer, it can be one, two, maybe even three years. It, uh, it develops kind of a rust kind of color, um, to it. So, and it's uh, pretty high salt content. I mean, there, there are dozens of types of miso I'm learning, but, uh, the one that I'm kind of really love is sort of the, the, the classic red miso. I think that's probably one of the more common ones. So, so I started making it, um, I guess when I got back in 2011 and then, uh, I, maybe the first time I harvested it was a year later in 2013. And so, yeah, that was when I, I had decided to, uh, to like webcast or live stream that just for, you know, for, you know, I, I'm always trying out, you know, new gimmicks and new things and seeing what sticks. And so anyway, so we did a little, uh, cheesy unveiling. Cause what, what I, the way that I do is once I prepare the paste, I put it in a, uh, a paper bag and I staple it and tape it. And I can't, I put it in my garage. Like I can't, that's it. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going to look like. So it's kind of fun to have that kind of element of like, well, what's it going to be? Are there going to be bugs in it? Is it going to be awesome? So, mm-hmm. um, so that was, I had revealed it in 2013 at a, um, a, another workshop. I think, was that the one you were at Allison? Um, no, maybe, maybe I was there. Um, the one that I went to was a sauerkraut. Right, right. One. It was a different I, I workshop. I believe you did re- reveal it, and I don't know if I got to taste it because I don't. Oh, I don't remember. That was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> well, 
And it's your lucky evening because um, we've got some right here. Sorry, Brandon. I, oh, you know, man. I did not have to. Um, but anyway, okay, so let me finish my rambling story. So um, this year I said we need to teach people how to make miso. And so that we had that last week um, at the same venue and we got to make it. Um, and I, I prefer making it with uh, adzuki beans. Like I'm, I'm just not a big fan of the soybean. I know that may be heresy in, in some circles, but um, – yeah, I just I think other other beans are more interesting, and something like miso or tempeh, they all lend themselves to any legume. You know? mm-hmm. So, I like the azuki beans. Um, so that's kind of the version that I've been making in the past couple of years. And uh, well, azuki beans are usually sweeter too from the beginning. They? Don't they taste a little sweeter when I when think you so, just yeah. cook them and eat them as just regular beans? I think you're right. There's okay. probably a little bit, a little bit, and you're right. It would be interesting to kind of do a, a, a real like so, you know traditional soybean miso taste test because mm-hmm. i'm sure that that gets transferred into the into the flavor yeah but, um so we did the reveal again this year and it was um it was great and which was good because we we needed the miso from that batch to like seed into um into the next batch and it was cool there was like maybe 15 people there and everybody you know again i'm, I'm so big on people getting literally getting their hands in the same dish you know so like multiple people this gets a little hippie i apologize but no i don't i don't apologize i'm somewhat <laughs> of a hippie now in my in my older years, uh, but um, so everybody gets their hands in and they mixed it and then we packed it into jars and they took it home and we gave them a little bag and you know they're gonna taste it. It's a minimum of six months um, and it's actually miso is measured in um, summers. So like we did it now when it's spring. Um, so if people wanted to harvest it or eat it in like October, that would still be considered uh, a one year miso. So um, but they have to at least wait that many whatever six or seven months. So. Um, I would find that to be really hard, right? Especially right. just putting it in the bag, and I guess if you put it in your garage, then you kind of it's a little you out set of sight, it and forget it, and right. you don't right. even realize it's there until one day you're you know looking for a screwdriver and you're like, oh yeah, I totally forgot <laughs> right. that I had this. Me but so. still, I mean, I think it'd just be like lingering in the back of your head. Is it, yeah. is it good? Is it not good? Like, what right. happened? You well, really don't open it, correct? I really don't. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's just, I don't know if it's bad mojo or just, there's just no reason to, you know, like, um, and like I said, as long as you seal it up properly, there's very little that can go wrong. I mean, I guess if you have like termites or roaches or something, it could affect it, but, um, uh, yeah, there were no like spider colonies or anything like that. It was, it was fine. And, um, so yeah, so, uh, we we revealed it and there was this like, just this, sublime layer of liquid that kind of sits on top and um that's actually what the original tamari is um mm-hmm. in fact I, as i was i read some somewhere that the original word for uh well damari with a d um is translates to puddle in japanese so if you can think about it when you would have these vats big vats of um, miso when it was done it would look like a little puddle on top so um that became tamari which is now produced completely differently um but uh, but the, so the tamari that sits on top of a, of a miso batch is uh, it's it's amazing. I mean it's it's me, it's liquid miso basically, and you kind of I kind of use it like soy sauce. And I was reading the, the book of miso, which is sort of the definitive book written in the seventies mm-hmm. um, by William Shirley. Yes, Shirtliff? that's him. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, and he's uh, oh, basically it's like traditionally. The miso makers, it's just not for sale. It's just not for sale. They would just keep it for themselves. And I'm like, hmm. yep, I get it. I'm totally, I'm totally not giving that to anybody. You know, like, but, um, but anyway, so, so it was, there was a nice little layer of, of tamari. And now we have this, um, 
this one-year miso that, uh, would you like to taste it, Allison? Uh, yeah, I would love to taste okay. it. Um, here, I can have this. So, sorry, so I'm really sorry. <laughs> what, what's, I how think, would you describe this? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Miranda. Well, I, I just wanted to clarify. Are you trying the tamari or the, the actual oh, miso? The miso. The okay. miso. miso, yeah. Sorry. No, no offense, you guys. But again, like it doesn't leave my house. So. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I feel so special. <laughs> Maybe if the, like, the president came into town, I might consider it. But no. That's delicious. Um, it's really salty. It's very salty. Right? Very salty. But I love that because I, I just... I can't get enough salt. Well, good. I think right. it's delicious. Good. And I think, I mean, you're not really, you know, you don't traditionally sit here and eat it with a spoon. It's, mm-hmm. it's used as a, a very intense flavoring. Right. But, so you'd mix yeah. it in with something. But I mean, the smell, it's, it's like, it's finer than the finest wine I've ever had. I mean, oh. there's just so much going on there. And it's, um, it looks, I want to say like chunky, but when you put it in your mouth, it's not, it's, it just like dissolves all of a sudden. Mm, it's right. amazing. Right. Yeah. So if you're used to kind of the, uh, the more like go to an Asian market and see the the paste. It's it's usually been blended, but pretty fine. Mm-hmm. I'm so, I sort of follow the Sandra Katz method. He likes sort of the rustic, chunky style. Like um, you mash the beans and then you mix the rice in. Um, but that's it. You know, yeah. Then the beans, you're right, will continue to melt a little bit. But yeah, it's uh, it's pretty pretty special. I think it's really really tasty. I yes. am gonna have to get some of that and yeah, make some. Well, We'll have, yes. Here at my house. <laughs> right. So then, um, have you done any of the um, the shorter misos, or have you pretty much stuck with the the, the year long? Not yet, but I do. You know, I have I have a couple of extra um, cartons of koji, and I see there's a recipe for. Well, yeah, there's this. I guess the white miso is probably. I think mm-hmm. it's a little sweeter and shorter. So I, I definitely want to try that. And then there's also this apparently this like rice drink called uh, amazake, which is very which good. Is, have you had it? Have you got? Yes, yeah, I have, I have, I've, I've never that. had it. Oh, is yes. it like? Uh, have you ever had cold sake? Is it? Is it anything like that? Where it's kind of like- uh, no? I would say it's way sweeter than that because it's not really. Uh, I mean, it's it's just the after the koji uh, or after the the aspergillus has released the sweetness, and it's really not fermented for very long. Uh, and then heated up, and so it's not alcoholic like uh, like sake. It's just really. If I don't know if you if you're purchasing or making the koji, but it's like it's it's like uh, the amazingness of the smell of koji just all in a warm uh, mm-hmm. cup, which this winter has been very nice to be able to enjoy because it's been cold here, um, right. at least um, maybe not so much out there. But uh, yeah, it's definitely something a great winter drink. Cool. Okay. Good to know. So maybe I'm a little out of season that I'm making it here, but yeah. Hey, you can drink it anytime. And but you've kind of got me sold. Like you, you talking, and then the two of you tasting over there on making a, a a longer aged miso because i think i mean all you talk about with the tamari and with uh, the the amazing aromas really come out uh maybe not as complex but they still come out in these shorter 1 to 6 month misos like the 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 sweet white or the yellow i i mean those are the ones that i have experience with oh. um and it's but you've got me sold on i i really just need to lock something up for a year and and not because i even check i even like peek at the 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 three month ones that i do oh, that right? just to see just to see the activity see how much tamari i'm actually going to get oh uh, interesting yeah i guess maybe i could i could i can see why maybe make a little window or something like a little <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah they make those bags that have the cellophane right. in it you can see through but i think that would just kind of i like i like not I like the idea of trying to not look at it right. and right. revealing it and everyone being very surprised of what it looks like and tasting it. So I think, but it's just hard. That's, that would be the hard part is just waiting that year. 
it's kind of an act. I feel like it's a little bit of an act of faith, right? It's mm-hmm. like you have to just trust that that nature is going to do. Yeah. You've set the stage. And this is, you know, I would say this about most fermentation. I say it often in my workshop. We're really just setting the stage for the microbial action, whatever it is to happen, whether it's a yogurt culture, whether it's vegetables. But um, so, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a uh, an act of faith. But interestingly, when, when Tara was here, I decided I was going to do a two-year miso. So if you can imagine waiting one year, <laughs> I'm going to try to wait until uh, uh, autumn or winter of 2015. So oh, like, can you imagine like yeah, so. You're going to have to have like a big party, big <laughs> reveal party yes. or something. Yes. I hope you made enough of it for, right, to right. share I, I, with I, everyone. I, think I made about a gallon. So yeah, we'll, we'll have. And then, of course, a very simple uh, recipe is um, miso soup. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's. Simplicity itself, because you just it has got a couple ingredients. Um, you make a dashi broth, which is like kombu seaweed plus bonito, which is like this dried. Um, I think it's called katsu katsubushi in Japanese, and part of my butchering of the language. Um, and then you just you just make a stock for like ten minutes, and then you pull that that out, add the miso, and it's just like a little bit of scallions. It's just like wow. I bet that would be delicious in homemade miso soup. Yeah. I mean, I've I've never made miso soup at home. But um, I'm sure it, it. I mean, homemade miso soup doesn't compare. I mean, it's completely out of the out of the ballpark compared to what you would get at a, yeah. a restaurant. Right. Um, just yeah. Have you? Do you shop at the? Or have you? Do you go to Japanese markets? Like, or are you familiar with the? There's a couple of them in town here. But. Yeah, I've been to a few. That's up. Um, oh, where is it? It's on Claremont. I've been up there a few times, but I am just so unfamiliar with Japanese food mm-hmm. and um, all of the different types of food and things that, that you need to make Japanese food that I, I mean, oh, I don't know what, I don't know what to get. Yeah. I mean, it's very intimidating. So right. I don't even, I mean, I go in and I come out with lots of random stuff that doesn't go together. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just like, it's like anything else. You just kind of have to. Because I started to get familiar with this one particular market that has like a miso section, so like it has like twelve or fifteen misos, and I'm like, okay, I've got to, I've got to learn this stuff. And as I've been slowly, you know, venturing into other aisles in the store, you know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll discover like the nuka pickles or the umeboshi, which is like those salt, salty plums. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm starting to starting to branch out, but yeah, really, it's you just it's almost like you have to think of it, and it is it's an adventure, it's a culinary adventure, and just like. What am I going to learn today? And so, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I did that also kind of with the, there's a large Korean population here. So there's a Korean market and mm-hmm. kind of same thing. You're like, well, what is going, you know, most of the items are written in Korean. I mean, they also have English on them, but you know, how are you going to check hundreds of items in one aisle, you know, like um, just to find out what they are. So I, I get that it can be. Yeah. It's just the same as going to um, an, an American type grocery store and trying to figure out what kind of soup you want. And it, right, I mean, right. there's so many different varieties of soup, different flavors, different brands. So right. if you don't, if it's in um, Korean or Japanese and it, you know, it all looks, it all looks the same. You don't right. know which one is the best. And right. so it's very intimidating. Yeah, so. no, I agree. I will say I'm a little jealous of the image that you posted. I don't know even know when, but I just remember there being an image and I'm pretty sure it was from you showing a selection of Korean red pepper at a uh, local mart. And uh, that's, uh, I'm a little jealous because I've kind of have to order mine online or go down to Chicago to, uh, to get uh, that kind of selection. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We, we definitely, um, um, dig in the diverse communities that are here. And, uh, yeah, I think there were like 20 brands in that, in that particular picture, but, uh, yeah. Um, so that was me. So we, we have a, a plethora of, of additional fermented foods. I, uh, sorry again. Yeah. Um, so we've got, uh, I don't know what, what sounds, what sounds and looks interesting to you. Also we've got, let's um, see. 
we've got, uh, so I've, I've been tinkering with water kefir, um, probably learned it way too late in the game because people have been asking me questions on, on the site and stuff for a long time. And I just honestly hadn't gotten to it yet. So finally got some great grains and, uh, started making it and boy, it's just real, it's great. I mean, it's, I, well, is this plain kefir? This is plain water kefir. Okay, yeah. let's try that. And then I want to try this grapefruit, grapefruit water, water kefir. kefir. Yeah, that so sounds that. really tasty and tangy. So at least we get an auditory. So we're going to, we're going to put the, uh, we're going to open up the bottle right in front of the mic here. Hopefully it's not going to explode and short circuit anything. But... Oh, wait, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Did nice, you hear any? Nice Did sound you... effect. Yes. Okay, nice. <laughs> Right, We're so all being sorry. Teased. I just stuck my I just stuck my nose in in a even though it's plain. I still have an obsession. I don't know if it's like from the wine business, There's but some I just bit oh, yeah. of smell maybe uh, not yeah. too much. But you getting that over the internet? That's oh yeah, awesome. no, that's, that is good sound there. <laughs> smell of smell of radio, I guess. <laughs> Got to take advantage of this. You being in 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 studio. I mean, we don't usually get these kind of sound effects. Cool. Happy to do this it. is also really good. It reminds me, it smells a lot like, um, I don't want to say yeast fermenting, but that's Kinda what it does, smells huh? like. Um, if you go into, um, you're right. if you're, if you were to take, um, a packet of, uh, active dry yeast and put it in water and let it sit there and you, you stir it and then you get that really, um, olfactory smell of just yeast of, of yeast. I don't know how else to explain it, but that's what this you're right. smells you're like. Totally right. But the flavor I mean, I don't think that comes across in flavor. I feel like it's like kind of like a almost like a ginger ale or a ginger beer. So yeah, this, yeah. This has. I mean, it has. I did make it with uh, with ginger, but yeah. Yeah, it's it has just, a little bit of a ginger flavor to it, and it's it is better than Water Keeper I've had from the store, just because it does have a really. Um, it's not a tart flavor, but I mean, it's enough that it it, it doesn't taste like water and it doesn't taste like kefir. It's, is that what the, is that kind of been your experiences with the commercial brands? Mm-hmm. Of water kefir? You have commercial is, brands of water kefir available? I feel like, I think we do. Yeah. Well, if you okay. go to certain sure. grocery stores, there's, um, I've seen it recently down the street, um, at our grocery store, there's water kefir. There's a whole aisle of kombucha, um, and water kefir and all sorts of different, um, you know, Suja and like all sorts yeah, of crazy, like, like health press brands, of- health beverages and stuff <laughs> like that. So I've tried a few different, um, I think one of them is even called like Kavita K- or something. Kavita, yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's, um, right. and it might be coconut kefir and um, not coconut uh, and water kefir, but there are a few different brands of water kefir around here. Even if you go to, um, you know, really small, uh, um, mom and pop shops that some of them even have like those specialty things, which is really strange. But. That's awesome. Yeah. It's uh so yeah, I mean, I, I like it, you know, if you, people often draw a comparison to kombucha. Um, mm-hmm. So the basic differences are it's still, a, it's still considered a SCOBY, but rather than sort of being a blob, water kefir grains are more like, I call them like little chopped up gummy bears. They kind of have a, a different texture, like a jagged texture. Um, although I think even within the, the grains themselves, there's a wide variety, like, a buddy of mine had ordered some online and they almost looked like little like BBs, you know, they were almost round and then they were much smaller than the ones that I, we did a side by side. It was mm-hmm. like, Oh, that's cool. So even, yeah, um, yours look more like, um, grapes, like red, or like green grapes. Um, if you went to the grocery store and got, got grapes. Yeah. Well, you know what? Um, those are actually raisins. So I put them in the, those oh, are there you essentially go. raisins that we, we reversed, we reverse, uh, 
engineered a raisin because it, you know, the carbonation builds up when it ferments. <laughs> but no, what I do is I strain the grains out um, and put them back in the fridge. Oh, so okay. There's a little extra work, but the, but the benefits are uh, water kefir only takes about three days to ferment, mm-hmm. whereas kombucha takes anywhere from like seven to 21 days, depending on where your latitude is and what time of the year it is. Right. So, right. What do you do to keep your grains alive? Because the thing that I've had troubles with is since it is a shorter fermentation period and mm-hmm. I don't really drink a whole lot of uh, sweetened beverages, where, like, do you do it every three days or are you putting it in the refrigerator or leaving it to just extra sour and then regenerate it later on? Like what's, what's your way of keeping this going? Yeah. So my, so I'm kind of like you, I, ha- I have, I have ambitions of doing kind of a continual brew method or a continuous brew method, but it never, it's, I've never gotten it to the point where I want to do that, um, or that I've, I've been able to. So I wind up just essentially doing like one batch, bottling it all, drinking it, and then starting over. And in the mm-hmm. meantime, um, that's both for kombucha and water kefir. I will put them in the fridge and then feed them a little bit of sugar and they'll just, they're, they just chill out there, um, in the fridge. So um, so I strain them out every every time, and uh, yeah, they grow a little bit each time. I think they're probably going to grow. So I've been tinkering with the recipe, like adding more sugar, adding more ginger. I I also put molasses in because I read on, you know, that guy um guy down in Australia, uh, Dom. I think like he has this Dom's really like, site. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy is just like he's he's the you know the the wizard of 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 kefir. Anyway, so he recommended molasses because the minerals in molasses help the grains grow. So hmm. I would try, I try, yeah. So my recipe has, um, little molasses, sugar, raisins, and then I take a, uh, ginger and kind of mince it up and put it in like a muslin bag and throw it in there. And you can see that you can see the recipe online as well. But, um, and then I, so I've been tinkering with like, what, what would it look like if I added more water or reduce the sugar? And that's kind of what this is like version two. And I think it's a nice balance because, because I'm like you, Brandon, I, I don't really like sugary drinks. Like I kind of gave up soda because, you know, we don't need all those extra calories. So I do this, you know, for, for fun and experimentation, but yeah, like I'll, I'll do a batch. It'll take me, you know, a couple of weeks to drink and then I'll come mm-hmm. back. And in the meantime, I suspend and animate the, uh, the, the grains. Yeah. And I'd say that's not sweet at all or yeah, sweet. It's very, it's not, um, extremely tart, but it's still tart enough. Um, like a lemonade. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm more lucky than I am good is what, how I kind of you know, like to think of myself. But again, yeah, I think I, oh, oh wait, here's, so this is the, sorry, I'm I, taking the grapefruit water kefir and I kind of made, was that like a musical note? That was like a musical okay, note. So like it's in a swing top bottle. So I like, let's see. Wow. It's. See, and, and wasn't there wasn't there a guy that posted <laughs> stuff on the internet where he took some cultures yeah. and like hooked them up to me? Okay, mm-hmm. so yep, the, the error was t- converted to digital sound. So awesome. yeah. So anyway, so we just did that a little bit. Now we have some grapefruit water kefir. You want to give this a try? Alter, awesome. Yeah. So um, I did a secondary ferment, um, and the great thing about secondary ferments with water kefir is they're very short. In fact, you really want to be careful because the stuff can explode big time. Like. Um, I'm finding that I don't even need a full 24 hours for a secondary ferment. Okay. Um, like, and it gets, it gets plenty fizzy in that time. But. I, I repeat it all the time, but water kefir is the only thing that I've ever had explode a jar and it's very dangerous. Very dangerous. <laughs> it really, I mean, let's, let's public service announcement kids. Like it's real, like you're, it's a bomb. It's a great Sh- shards it's of glass bad. going everywhere in a kitchen and uh, yeah. be grateful if no one is in the, in the room, because I mean, right. I, and I even know that like, uh, and I read it because it happened to me before Sander cats, 
uh, latest book came out, but I think he even has a part in there. Like since, since, uh, doing everything he's done over the years, he's heard of people that have actually been, uh, have gone to the hospital for it. So it's definitely dangerous. Uh, yeah. And there's nothing uh, to be afraid of, but it's definitely something to be aware of. Don't take it the wrong way. Um, and I love Sanders method. He's just such a, I mean, such a practical guy anyway. And when I went into his, uh, to his workshop, he had like these like plastic liter bottles and two liter bottles. And they looked like there was like RC and and Coca-Cola. And I was like, um, and I thought this guy was legit. You know, I thought he just had like <laughs> bottles of soda lying around. But as it turns out, he likes doing secondary ferments for things like water kefir in plastic bottles because there's that tactical, tactile feel, right? Mm-hmm. So you can squeeze it. And if it doesn't squeeze, then you're like, okay, this is ready to go. And it's not going to explode. You know, like it might explode, but it's not going to throw shards of glass anywhere. So right. Um, not as if you're standing dangerous. right next to it and it explodes on your head, then yeah, it might still hurt. Yeah, but it's not going to yeah. like... I mean, it's not going to be nearly as bad. And actually, you bringing that up again, I wanted to get back to that because I've been intrigued about the idea of going to one of uh, Sander Katz's uh, five-day workshops. What was that like? Oh, that was like, it's like I died and gone to heaven. I mean, it was just, <laughs> I mean, I was already in fair, fairly geek mode. But, um, you know, it, just the whole experience uh, uh, of him. I mean, he's just a great guy. And I had met him like earlier in 2011 in uh, Sonoma County uh, up north in California here and already knew like this guy is like amazing. So um, decided to go to his workshop um, at the time. And I don't know if he still has it there. Is that a, was at a place that was uh, just becoming online as a, as a moonshine distillery. So in Tennessee, in the state of Tennessee, moonshine is now legal, like, and it's regulated by the state. So mm-hmm. it was really cool. So you're on this farm um, and I got to stay and he had, literally had like a rustic cabin, like on, on the property, um, and right next to the, basically the, the house or the, it's kind of a flat where, uh, his, you know, his lab slash kitchen is. And, uh, I mean, you walk in and there's just like, you know, 20 to 30 feet of every kind of mead and wine and, and jun and bottles. And, but I mean, it's not messy, it's orderly, but it's just like, okay, then, you know, you go back to this uh, unheated space that he's got and he's got like, there's a 55 gallon like wine barrel, like a wooden, uh, an oak barrel. And, uh, he's like, well, I'm glad you guys are here because you're going to help us fill this with like a, what he calls kraut chi, which is like sauerkraut kimchi. Kind mm-hmm. of. And we're like, we're going to fill that, you know? And so, um, so we got to not only just spend all day with them and going over various things, uh, you know, everything from tempeh to, um, strawberry wine to, uh, you name it. Um, uh, I can't even think of all the stuff now. I'm just trying to remember like the, the chronology of, of things that we did. But so then, uh, one day we went out and, um, got a bunch of, uh, picked a bunch of daikon radish that, uh, a guy that, uh, you know, maybe 30 miles away is, uh, you may have heard of him called the barefoot farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so he had, he was using daikon in, uh, crop rotation, like, cause I guess it's good for uh, putting nitrogen back in the soil. So we, we picked all of it, um, got to ride in the back of a pickup. I mean, it was like the real country experience and like, and I, you know, I'm like a kid from the suburbs. I didn't really grow up farming, but I really, you know, it was, you really develop an appreciation when you're sitting there for hours picking, you know, radish. And so we, we brought it back. We, you know, we uh, peeled it and then we shredded it and threw it into this. And we, sure enough, we got other cabbages from a couple other farms and, um, we did, we filled up this, this big drum of, uh, with, with sauerkraut and it was, 
And it was, I mean, it would just send the people. It was a small group, let's say 10 people. And some, some were staying on like on the premises. Others had found like bed and breakfast nearby. And it was just, it was just really a very, uh, it was, it was a fun, fun overall experience. Highly recommend it, um, to anybody who can, you know, make it, make it a, a vacation, you know? Mm-hmm. And you know? would you say that I'm assuming people that are, are committed to a vacation sounds nice. I guess it could have a lot of different people at that, but are, is everyone pretty geeked out on fermentation or are there like complete beginners going to, I would say probably people that, Hmm, that's a good question. I would say most of the people were sort of already hip to the agenda, uh, and there was one guy, he actually was a local that um, seemed like he was more of a novice, but somehow had come across or, or, or known about the um, the event. So, but everybody's there to learn. And I don't think anybody, yeah, I think everybody, yeah, probably had a, a curiosity enough to like book a trip and, right. and spend the time. Um, so, yeah, I would say it's, it was a beginner, beginner level uh, class. That's awesome. And uh, would you... Uh, are you are you ever going to do kind of longer, more uh, extended kind of workshops like that? I mean, because it seems like you do a lot of workshops now. Like, do you have any kind of different ideas or different kinds of unveilings or anything different that you might do in the future? Like, yeah, plans? yeah, yeah. That's a great question. Um, I would love to. Uh, you know, it's, but it's like every time I do a workshop, I, I'm I think I'm starting to become more careful about where and kind of what specific audiences that I'd I'd like to reach. And the reality is that there's still so many people that, uh, I can do the one Oh one. I have a fermentation one Oh one workshops and, um, there's just so many people that still need that basic level of knowledge that I feel like I could do that for maybe five, 10 more years, you know, but that said, I do know that I I would personally, just for my own edification, like to, to teach maybe a one Oh two or two Oh one, whatever you call it. Um, um, and I've been approached by a couple of local farm or a, lo- a local farm to ask me to do sort of a series, you know, a, an extended series. And, and I love the idea. Um, but then, you know, I got to develop the curriculum and meanwhile, um, you know, keep my day job and, you know, cause this fermentation stuff is just kind of my hobby. But, uh, but I mean, I'd love to make it my, my real day job someday. Mm-hmm. But, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 am I anywhere close to, uh, having Sander, Sander Katz's credibility and, and street cred? Probably not yet, but you know, you know. He's got maybe 15 years on me, but, um, yeah, if there would be interest there, I would, I would absolutely consider like a retreat type of situation. And, um, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Especially for all of us people in the the Midwest or other places, uh, when it's, especially when it's cold, that'd be a nice time. Right. You're yeah, a you destination, can come right? to San Diego. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so keep that in mind at least. And, uh, well, yeah. other things with, uh, maybe upcoming workshops or I know you have your, your t-shirts too and, and stickers. I mean, you just have an, a new t-shirt come out. Can you tell us something about that? Sure. Sure. So, um, I noticed that. So, we, so it's sort of like, I, I wish I knew the original artist, like you've seen, you've probably seen the concept where it's like, well, my shirt says, um, sauerkraut and kombucha and kimchi and sourdough and, um, sauerkraut. And it's kind of all like, scrunched together with the ampersand like being it's a thing like it's a thing that's been around for a couple years and Mm -hmm. everybody's been sort of borrowing that design concept so uh we did we did i had a local artist um do a a trial run of those and we did a a a short run and um and you know we we sold out on those we had a couple other designs as well um and then when i started posting more recent pictures so there's always new people joining and like becoming fans so um 
once they saw the the original sort of brown, it was like brown and black, they were like, I want that shirt. So basically enough people said that to inspire me to do another run. And this time we put the logo on the front because in the V1, version one, the logo was on the back. So anyway, so yes, we now have a, a galaxy blue is the color from American Apparel. It's organic um, cotton. And it is uh, kind of like a, a gray, a, a almost white colored uh, print on the front. And uh, yeah, we got them for sale on the website, shop.fermentersclub.com. And uh, um, yeah, they're there. And we also, yeah, we also have these stickers. So I've been slinging those stickers um, uh, for a long time. They're these real high quality vinyl. You can put them on a, a glass jar and they'll, they'll survive the dishwasher and they're real, um, they don't run or anything like that. So that was the uh, one curious thing I've, uh, when I've seen your stickers before. So they really, they, they last, they'll stick to washings, continual washings. Yeah. Yeah. They're like super high quality. Um, I have yet, I've yet to have one in the three or four years I've, I've been using them like peel. Yeah, we have a few and they, I mean, it's gone through the dishwasher. It's gone through moves. It's sat outside. I mean, cool. and it's still, it still is like vibrant as, as when, when I got them. So. Mm-hmm. They're pretty. They're they're pretty awesome too. Because then everyone, I mean, it makes it look more legit when you're fermenting and you have friends come over. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and it's funny because when I have a like, we've got these full jars here. Um, people are like, "Well, where can I buy this?" And then, I mean, I, I really get that question uh, asked of me a lot. And you know, my answer is like, I don't. I don't sell this. I I, ra- I would rather teach you how to make it. And mm-hmm. so, um, I think sometimes some people get. Are like, oh, okay. And other people's like, well, I want to buy it. You know, I, you can sell that. I didn't, I didn't give them the answer they wanted to hear, but, um, but yeah, for now, I get more pleasure out of uh, education and, and kind of entertainment, you know, versus like actually making products. But I'm open to it. I mean, the future is unwritten, so you know, there could be a fermenters club brand somewhere and down down the line, you know. All right, so we're we're uh, we're tasting some. Uh, Red and green sauerkrauts. Um, so, do you, what did you think, Allison? This one was very tasty and salty. Um, it's also still really crispy, mm-hmm. um, and that's what I really like about it. Because when you bite into it, you can. You're getting that. Sorry. <laughs> it's it's all the there. Crunch. Yes, yes. Thank you <laughs> yeah, very much. You hear the crunch of it, and I think that that's so refreshing too. Just to think and it, just to know that you are eating that something that's crunchy. Right, and this is. Um, so red cabbage tends to stay crunchier. The texture is just more mm-hmm. hearty. And this is actually, in my opinion, a young kraut because it's only been about two and a half weeks. I tend to go about five to six weeks for sauerkraut. But I had a uh, pastrami potluck the other night. Um, oh, I bet that was delicious And this on was, it. yeah, this was like a, a hit. So I had, to, I had to pull it out a little early, but um, the rest of it's fermenting, you know, safely mm-hmm. in, the, in the cellar now. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, so yeah, um, it... Red red cabbage tends to stay firmer, um, and this is also young. So yeah. yeah, also why it's slightly crispy, and I, right. I like that part. I mean, um, I like very well done sauerkraut sometimes, um, especially if it if I'm putting it on like a hot dog or mm-hmm. right. something that's very traditional that way. But that would be delicious on top of a salad or right. Um, right. any sort of like barbecued meat or like a hamburger or something like that. So you're right. Yeah, I didn't think about that. There's like nuances of different textures that you'd want mm-hmm. to use for different. Mm-hmm. Uh, different yeah. I just don't think it would, it would have the same sort of appeal of, um, on a hot dog. I mean, yeah, you're right. people, I mean, Chicago dogs, don't they have like pickles on them or something like that? And I'm just not a big fan of that style. So maybe, I mean, it's all personal preference. Right. Right. All right. So, um, Sorry, we're just we're just gonna keep eating here, Brandon. We got we just cracked open a uh, kimchi, so this is here we um, go. 
This is Napa and and red cabbage kimchi. Actually, I, I realized I forgot to add daikon to this, so it's just like a pure cabbage. Um, That's uh, really kimchi. spicy. It's sorry. I think it's, it's really spicy. It's very spicy. Um, I'm usually not a big fan of kimchi, but oh that's yeah, really that's good. right. Um, that's really good. Um, I'm having a little trouble with the spice. <laughs> Sorry about that. I should have warned you. No, it's fine. Um, it's probably I just maybe I'm just really sensitive to spicy. Um, like if I go to a Thai restaurant, I get like spicy level zero. <laughs> zero. Right. Um, so it might be that, but okay, again, it's still that. really crunchy, and I like that part of it. Again, I just like that crunch to it. What's your preference on uh, on kimchi? How long do you let it ferment for? Yeah, great question. Um, I'm finding that in, in our climate here, Southern California, about nine days is like the perfect um, balance between crunchy and um, just like melded together. Um, and then that's, you know, that's even still a beginning point because then I, I put it in the fridge and it does continue to develop, um, albeit much more slowly. But um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I've, I've never looked into that fully as to like what it is. I mean, maybe it's just my preference. I, I'm kind of in that same like a uh, within two weeks kind of generally and then let it go longer to get a little bit more sour in the refrigerator. But there's just whereas sauerkraut, I don't think tastes amazing unless it's fermented for a long period of time. But like kimchi, just those flavors just work better when they're not overly sour. I, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the the spiciness wouldn't be as as potent or as good if it if it was a lot more sour i think then it would just be overwhelming because sometimes when you mix certain flavors like spicy with um i'm trying to think of it the a combination that doesn't work very well something that's spicy um and sour i mean those those create such a a harsh sensation at least for me that i don't really enjoy it so yeah it's a good question why is sauerkraut better after you know six or eight weeks and mm-hmm. kimchi is a younger yeah, and you're right because there's so much more going on with those flavors melting together and mm-hmm. um yeah that reminds me the, the fish sauce I, I i can harp all day about fish sauce but it's really it's a really it's uh so the fish sauce that i use in the kimchi is itself fermented and uh, it's a very simple dish you just get fresh fish chop it up put it in some brine um and that's actually i want to do a fish sauce workshop there's a fishmonger here in town that I've been trying to get his attention. Um, so do you make your own fish sauce, fish sauce at home? I do. Yeah. So, um, I did a, I did a batch with a mackerel that this guy gave me Mm -hmm. and mackerel is a very strong fish. I mean, it's like, I think it's like the king of fishy fish. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I had no idea what was going to happen, but it wound up being, um, well, it was, the process itself was, was pretty stinky because, you know, it's, it's this big kind of chopped up fish gut sitting in a jar and it's not very pretty. And, um, this is one ferment that I would recommend keeping the lid on tightly, but making sure you burp it every couple of days because the fermentation builds up gas. But I would like close all the windows, go outside, close the door and, uh, and like release the gas. And then like, it would just be like <laughs> a little mustard gas bomb and then to take it back inside. And then, so I did that for about two months and then, um, put it in the fridge for another month and then I strained it out and how oh, it just became like this. It's still very pungent, but I kind of compare the taste to like a really, really, the aged cheese. So it has mm-hmm. the, I mean, it's not, it's not a coincidence. Those flavors that develop are proteins that, you know, similar in those things, but, um, it's, yeah, it's really, it's, it, I think it makes a huge difference in the final product uh, for kimchi, but how would you yeah. say it compares to say a commercial brands of Thai or Vietnamese ones that not the ones that have all the other ingredients, but just ones that are like mm-hmm. the, the, the salt and the, the anchovies. 
Yeah, I think I think it just has a again a more of a complexity, and maybe that's like the homemade versus commercial thing. Because I think those brands are actually fermented for a year. I think they're actually longer ferments, but I also feel like they're a little bit kind of flatter. I almost like equate it to uh, you know uh, fermented pickle, like a cucumber versus like a quick pickled cucumber. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the flavors are very different. the complexity of a fermented dish is just that much more than sort of the flat one note flavor of a quick pickle. So I feel like the commercial brands are kind of mostly like that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think even the commercial brands do uh, way more for the flavor of kimchi than leaving it out. Um, but oh, right, the, yeah. at the same time, like make me a little jealous here too, of being able to just have oh, access to nice fresh fish to be able to mm-hmm. use for that. Do you know if there is any possibility of either using some kind of frozen fish or using a larger fish? Like, is, yeah. is that possible to do with, uh, with fish sauce? You know, I remember reading, I think, it, you know, the, the, well, so traditionally in Southeast Asia, I believe the fish that they used were actually freshwater fish. So oh, it's not okay. like you have to have an ocean going fish. So, um, I want to say it's like carp or catfish or, you know, whatever the local sort of river oh. or lake fish. So, so, you know, you guys have a lot more water out in the Midwest than we do out here. Um, uh, even though you don't have an ocean nearby. So I think most, well, like sardines and um, anchovies are sort of the traditional mm-hmm. um, ones, but, you know, mackerel obviously works. And um, I don't know if, if you can use frozen fish or maybe even uh, canned fish. Uh, oh. I don't yeah. see why you why you, you couldn't do it. I mean, It might cut down on some of the processing if you use canned fish versus right. um, frozen fish because then it's already minced enough, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I mean. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I'm gonna have to look into that. I I do want to make it, and I I just it's been one of those hurdles of of I I actually didn't realize that they were using freshwater fish uh, traditionally in some right. areas. So that's awesome. Right. That's that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what and other then, kinds of uh, we don't have much time, but like either what other kinds of things are you sampling there, or what are the other uh, you know more far out? Uh, what's the most far out ferment beyond what you've already described that you either do or that you would like to do next? Hmm. That's a great question. I, you know what, I kind of want to get into, uh, uh, cured meats. Uh, it's an area I haven't really dabbled in. Um, and fortunately there are some artisanal brands of like sausage, uh, that they do it really well. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think I'd like to to tinker with that, uh, with meats. Uh, Let's see as far as exotics. Um, Hmm. I don't know. I, I feel, I, I feel like I read somewhere maybe in Tibet, they, they drink fermented mare's milk. And I'm like, that sounds interesting. <laughs> like, where do you even like go about asking for a horse, horse milk, milk, essentially? Yeah. <laughs> but Brandon, you have a, a Himalayan fermented book, don't you? Well, actually, uh, the, the mare's milk that I'm familiar with is uh, Mongolian and uh, to a certain extent Russian, like uh, kumis. Oh yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Have you, so have is you that what that? you're, is that what you're talking about? It is, it is. Yeah. I have searched for anyone in the United States that may have it. And, uh, Mongol communities would probably be good places to find. I mean, that's where I found like a really good Vili. Like I'm still on a search for a Kumis culture. And uh, I know that in Russia that a lot of times it's even been converted to using with, with cow's milk, mm. but I don't know what culture they're using and could it, I mean, can I just use a, a, a dairy yogurt or uh, kefir culture and kind of get a similar thing. Like, I don't really know. Like I know the, right. the flavor is going to taste different because of the mare's milk, but I, I just, I want to know what the culture is and I have not been able to find it. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's and the quest goes on. Do you have yeah. any much? Do you know? Are there? Are, is there much of a, a Mongolian not that expat I know community? Of I don't. I don't. Not that I'm aware of either. Yeah. That seems like a very small niche community. New York's mm-hmm. the best place I've been able to find a larger group, but I haven't been able to get any responses from people yet. Mm. But if any, if anyone knows anyone, we all want to try Kumis. <laughs> <laughs> And so wait, so it's it's both the fact that it's mare's milk and it's a spe- it's a specific culture that's your knowledge like it's like a Well, at some at, at one point it would have been a uh, a specific culture and that's what I can't get clarification on because there's just not enough in English uh because I mean I'm sure there's plenty in Russian possibly. I haven't been able to dig deep enough, but I know that uh they were storing it in animal sacks so it, maybe it's a grain thing like like kefir or or possibly it was just a backslopping like like yogurt. I don't actually know how it's been prepared and if it's even being prepared as it was traditionally hundreds of years ago or if it's changed. So those are all the kind of questions that I have, but kumis is definitely I, I mean fermented dairy is kind of uh, fermented dairy uh, before like cheeses and different stuff like I'm really interested in these kind of things. So it's just the challenge of digging deep enough, I guess. Okay. So, yeah. Right. So another brilliant segue. We are uh, down to our last ferment here. This is a uh, Vili. So um, it's a Finnish strain of yogurt that ferments at room temperature, which is, I like, I like about it because you don't, it, you know, you literally just pour it into a glass mm-hmm. and uh, um, leave it on the counter. And 24 hours later, milk becomes magically uh, Vili. Yeah. So, so Vili is, um, it's just a little bit more um, stringy than sort of the traditional Bulgarian um, style that you might be uh, accustomed to with most store brands. And also this is a, uh, I used uh, unhomogenized milk. Okay. So there's literally yeah, there's a layer some... of cream on mm-hmm. the top there, which is a bonus. But uh, yeah. So I think you got a nice uh, dollop of cream. Are you using a, uh, a short as in just mildly stringy or a long version as in like really stretches off the spoon? Uh, you know what? I feel like it behaves differently depending on different things, but are there, are those actually two different cultures to your, to your knowledge? Like, yeah, there's, there's the, there's the, the short version. Some aren't even really almost have lost their stringiness completely. And, and then there's others that just are like glue, like Nickelodeon gack, like, like I've got a picture on the, on the website of just like sticking my hand into a big bowl of it and just like pulling up a a big stretchiness of it. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I, I, I'm almost sure this is the, this is the former one. Like this is almost more like chunky. Um, yeah. Like it's definitely not doing this. Yeah, it's clumps. It's kind of in. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay, I'll have to. I'll so, have see. you tried the, the any of the stretchy ones? I don't think I have. Oh. That that would be much uh, memorable. But it, I mean, this is stringy. But I don't know what you think of. This seems like it's a little more. It's um, it's describe? not um, yeah. I wouldn't say that it's stringy. It's I don't want to say clumpy, but if when you pour it out of the spoon into the jar, it all kind of falls at once. Yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe you have a hybrid have somewhere some, in between. Yeah, Perhaps. but it does still, it still does stick to the spoon. It's just, um, or, um, kind of create that gack look <laughs> as it's falling. But I mean, right. a majority of it falls in one big clump. Right. Right. But it's, it is also very, very good. It's fun. And it's kind of, yeah, it is kind of fun to watch you play with that. <laughs> very meditative. Yes. Mm-hmm. And do you have any story behind your, uh, your Vili culture? Was it, purchase commercially or or does it have like actually a story i have i have a good friend who is uh her family is finnish and she, uh they've settled in canada and so she went one year she went home and asked her mom for the for the culture and she was actually one of the original like members that i was talking about like three or four years ago 
Um, so ever since then we've been propagating it and, uh, yeah, I love it. It's just like simple. So yeah. it's a, it's a Canadian Vili brought over at some point from Finland. Right. Probably only maybe another generation. You know, I think, uh, my, my friend's parents were, were from Finland. So yeah, it's, it's not too far uh, removed from the old country. But still a uh, generation before it started to become so commercialized and yeah, so right. Like, I mean, I think it, uh, even back in the home country, it's a little more, right. I, I think people are just kind of losing, um, as they, tr- as they aim to become more sort of convenience foods and mm-hmm. westernized. I think some of us here where the, all those things started are sort of going beyond that or coming back full circle the other, the other right. way. Right. But, um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I think it's probably just, yeah. In generational like cultures that people hold on to and mm-hmm. yeah, it's cool. Well, so do you have anything else you're sampling? I think we've gone through everything. The, yeah. There's quite a smell in the room now. <laughs> there, there is. It smells. It smells like a. I mean, it smells like a fermentation room. Um, but they're all. All of them. I have nothing bad to say about any of them. Um, and I really like that kimchi. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a big fan of kimchi in general, but I think I really like the how you made it. Nice. So maybe I'll have to make your recipe. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, Yep, we have probably five or six different recipes for kimchi. Again, this one was a bit of an accident. It's it's just cabbage and scallions. So um, usually I, I put daikon radish in as mm-hmm. well. Uh, but yeah, if you follow the recipe online, you can you, know, you can always you know I just the recipes any recipe is really just sort of a guideline, and you can improvise right. and add whatever vegetables you've got on hand. And uh, uh, yeah, it's yeah. Do you want to um, talk about um, how we can get a hold of you? I mean, you just talked about your website. Yeah, so uh, we've got a blog, which is fermentersclub.com. And if you go there, you can sign up for a newsletter. Uh, you can find us on Facebook or on Instagram. Um, just Google Fermenters Club. We're, so far, we're the only one in the book. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so stay in touch with us. And uh, uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll be coming to a town near you sometime in the future. Because I'd love to get around. But again, I, I do have a day job. Uh, I work at a software company here in town. So, uh they don't like it when I go away for like six weeks at a time and, you know. Yeah, probably not. Spread, spread the sour. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just not their line of work. You know, they're, they're cool and everything. But <laughs> sure. They don't get me, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well we're, we're glad that you, uh, you, you pushed on even when people aren't getting you, that you're, you're, you're getting out there and doing this stuff. And, and it's, it's great. It's great work. Uh, you do awesome stuff. And thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you. It was, it was a fun, fun time. Glad I got to connect with you all finally. Awesome. Well, I will make sure that all of these things show in the, the show notes, which can be found at firmup.com slash podcast slash 59. And I'll even put in the, the image, a link to the image for the, uh, all the things that they were sampling. I saw that through Twitter, uh, while you were eating all of those. So, but otherwise, if you want to get a hold of us or anything, uh, uh, firm up, uh, at firm up on Twitter, at firm up on, on Facebook, and we're at firm up and until next time, firm up.